Thank you for joining us for another leadership podcast by Pastor Jurgen Matesius, lead pastor of C3 Church in San Diego. Welcome everybody to the April 2014 edition of C3 San Diego's Leadership Podcast here with Pastor Jurgen Matesius. How are you doing, Pastor Jurgen? Wonderful, Pastor David, and we're here with our awesome staff and interns. So we're recording live today, so it's going out into podcast land live here at C3 Staff Meeting. That's right, first time ever, which is exciting. So uh, we're going to get into this, but before we do, I want to intro like we do every leadership podcast, um, something great happening the last week of June, which is our Empower Conference. So you do want to tell everybody about our Empower Conference coming up the 26th, 27th, and 28th of June. Yeah, we have an Empower Conference for kids, for youth, and then for you know adults as well. And uh, it is just basically designed to empower people within the body of Christ to fulfill God's call, God's purpose for their life. The first part of fulfilling it is you've got to discover it. And so that's why we, we want a strong Holy Ghost anointed prophetic edge so people can begin to discover the unfolding of God's great plans and God great, God's great purposes for their lives. And then at the same time, sit under such great ministry that they get equipped and resource to actually be able to stretch out their hand and lay hold of everything that God has for them. So incredible practical day sessions and equip shops. And then the night sessions are just going to be off the chain, standing, cheering. Right. You know, we're going to have some church. Who are the uh, guest speakers we have this year? We have uh, the Reverend Christopher Hill from the Potter's House in Denver, Colorado. We also have Bishop Michael Pitts who was a sensation last year, who's coming again to light us up this year. And, uh, and then just our awesome team. We also have James Murray coming to speak to our youth. That's right. And uh, Natalie Miller, uh, who's one of the, I believe, one of the best ventriloquists for kids yes. coming over to doing our kids' ministry. So it's going to just be an outstanding few days yeah. right here in sunny San Diego. Tough place to be in June. It's rough. But still, you yeah. know, with the ocean and the beaches and the great cafes and restaurants and great weather and climate it is shopping shopping's tough too so it is a Golf. great place to come yeah Golf. somebody has to do it so sign up you can go to our website c3sandiego.com sign up for it your youth youth pastors team bring everybody out it'll be a great time well the, the topic of today's leadership podcast is this is four keys to effective leadership four keys to effective leadership and obviously this is a leadership podcast so we know you're listening because you want to be a better leader so we're going to give you some keys uh, today of how you can be an effective leader and a better leader and what I've discovered is that leaders are always learning you never stop learning. You never stop resourcing yourself. You never stop. You, you've never arrived as a leader. A leader is always growing. So wherever you are on the leadership scale, you can learn and apply what we're going to talk about this morning. So the first key is this, Pastor Jurgen. The first key uh, that you have is to receive instruction, the ability to receive instruction. So can you tell us what that is and how to do that? Okay, a lot of people think that when you become a leader that now you give instructions and you cease being a receiver of instruction, but it's actually the opposite. Some people think when I get to the top, then it'll be so good. I'll be able to tell everybody what to do and nobody's going to tell me what to do no more. But I've actually found it's the opposite. I've actually found that, um, that my ability to lead effectively and govern efficiently de is determined by my ability to receive 
instruction. So one of my favorite Proverbs is Proverbs chapter 24, and it's written by, obviously, uh, King Solomon, the wisest man ever to walk the earth other than Jesus. Uh, And he says, I went by the field of the lazy man and by the vineyard of the man devoid of understanding. And there it was, all overgrown with thorns. Its surface was covered with nettles. Its stone wall was broken down. When I saw it, I considered it well. And I looked upon it and received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. So shall your poverty come like a prowler and your need like an armed man. And so here is, here is Solomon just kind of walking past. And I guarantee you people are walking past this, this guy's field every day. Some people are even commenting, oh my gosh, the guy needs to get out there and weed. Oh, look at the guy. You know, he's, it's all overgrown. But Solomon actually looks at it and actually doesn't just see the weeds and the overgrown. He actually sees the cause. He actually sees the root of the issue, sees the root of the problem. And he says, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. What he basically is describing is procrastination. The procrastination will always rob you of the potential of the field. That, that vineyard is meant to be producing wine. It's meant to be growing vines. Instead, it's overgrown with weeds and it's run down. And if there are any grapes, the grapes are going to be bitter because the best nutrients and resources in the soil are going to the weeds that this man is not pulling out. And he probably wants to pull it out, but he's just a little sleep, a little slumber, just taking it easy. You know what? I'll do it tomorrow. I'll do it tomorrow. I'll do it tomorrow. Only to find that it, you know, everything adds up. And so what I love about that is that Solomon can see something that most people would just see as an overgrown field, but he can see procrastination is in play. And I found that as leaders, my job is to not just see a thing, but to see the why behind the what, to see what, what, what is causing that uh, constantly with, uh, you know, with leaders and with different uh, people and situations to, to not just make my judgment based on what I see on the surface, but to actually learn how to ask what is, what is going on underneath, to actually receive instruction from stuff. You know, there's a great saying, how you do anything is how you do everything. So when you, you know, when you see, when you see something is kind of a mess or something wrong, you, you begin to, you begin to see that not everything's honk, honky dory right. and that there's instruction to be received from it. Right. That's great. In Proverbs, it says this, it says uh, that a wise man will even learn from a, f- a fool. Or if you rebuke a wise man, he will grow wiser still. So I think some people, like you said, have, have thought that they have arrived or that they can only learn from those who are further ahead than them, which is opposite of the truth, yeah. correct? Yeah. And uh, so, so what would you say to those people out there who are leading hundreds of people or leading thousands of people and think, oh, well, I don't really have anybody to learn from, so I have arrived. Um, what, what would you say to those leaders out there? Yeah, you know, I think that you're, you're foolish. In uh, Andy Stanley's book, Seven Practices of Effective Ministry, he says you've got to actually listen to outside voices. And he talked about how, uh, you know, baseball went through a very, very dark season. And uh, I think it was ni- 1994, there was no World Series because of, all, you know, strikes and, you know, all kinds of things. And they literally had to reinvent the game. But what happened was it was, it was governed by insider, insider voices. They weren't listening to what the people wanted, what the fans wanted, what the experts wanted. And so, so that actually caused a massive shift and a massive change in, in the way that baseball and so night games and, and everything. 
And so I think that you, as soon as you cut yourself off from sources, you, you actually have a, an expiration date where you, you're going to die. And I think the higher you go in leadership, the more you want to create avenues of outside voices or other voices that are, that are speaking into your life, that are ministering into your life. So that because we can only ever see in anything from one perspective, we all have blind spots and we all have a peripheral that the further we move into that peripheral, the, the you know, more blind we become. But we need people in those blind spots saying, hey, do you see what's happening on your left? Do you see what's happening on your right? If we have little mirrors on our car to, to tell us, hey, look into that thing, have a quick glance, and then, and then still look over your shoulder before you change lanes. Because you can think, well, there's no one there. It's fine to change lanes, only to find there is a car there and there's a guy you know, giving you the one way to heaven finger sign. And I think that's what it is. I'm sure that's what they are. They're yeah, all Christians oh, telling me they're blessing you're going you. to heaven. There's one way to go, something like that. Yeah, they're blessing you. Uh, that, that's, that's really, really good. Uh, which leads us to our next key. The second key to effective leadership is vision, is vision. So why don't you tell everybody about that? Well, you know, vision, and the reason that I, I wanted to start with receiving instruction is because in Luke 6, 29, I think it is, Luke 6, 39, sorry, Jesus spoke a parable to them saying, can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into the ditch? Can the blind lead the blind? So he's talking about leadership. And he's saying that the prerequisite for leadership is vision. Can the blind, can somebody without vision lead somebody else without vision? And the answer is no. Can somebody with vision lead the blind? Absolutely. So somebody with vision can lead people that don't have vision. But somebody without vision can't lead somebody without vision because they're both going to end up in a ditch. They're both going to end up in calamity, in destruction, in despair, in broke, in hopeless. And so therefore, the prerequisite of being a leader uh, means that you have to have vision. Now, vision is your ability to see. So Solomon is the leader because he goes by a field that everybody else could see the field. But when he looks at it, he doesn't just see a field, he actually sees what's going on behind it. When Joshua and Caleb crossed over into the promised land, um, they brought back a very different report. The, the other 10 leaders, I know we call them spies, but there were 10 leaders, that they were leaders without vision. They were leaders who saw what was apparent. They said, yes, it is a land flowing with milk and honey. However, there were giants in that land. The cities were fortified. It was a land that devours its inhabitants. Moreover, we, we saw the descendants of Anak in that land. We were like grasshoppers in our sight, grasshoppers in their sight. So they never got over their previous insecurities. They, ne they never built their security and their identity of who they were in God. They left it based on their victimized past or brokenness from the past. And, and every single person, doesn't matter who you are, whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian, every single person has to, will, will, whenever you're facing a giant or a challenge or a difficulty, will come down to your self-belief, who you believe you are. And Joshua and Caleb, I love that. They were leaders because they had vision. They rebuked the other 10 and they said, what are you guys talking about? Their protection has departed from them. They are our bread. Let us go up at once. So they saw the same thing, but they saw with vision. They said their protection has departed. They, they looked at what was going on and they saw something that, that the other guys did, and that's called vision. And that's, that's leadership. And, and we've got to be people 
that that have vision. I remember, um, you know, being in uh, being in a particular place where you know the the pastor sat down with me after I spoke in his church about how he was how he was struggling, and uh, you know the the money the the money just wasn't good. The money just wasn't coming in. And I remember when I pulled up out the front of his church, I, I, I could see straight away the money wasn't good because they had, you know, two of the letters of the name of their church was, was missing from the front of the church. You walked in and all the carpet was kind of stained and torn up in the, in the foyer. And it kind of had that dank smell like, you know, when it's, there's been a flood or something and then they've just kind of put heaters in there to dry and it's just, it wasn't, you know, air, aerated properly and it's kind of had that dank smell that it walk in and... Uh, they got a banner over one of the fire exits that's illegal, and, um, and you know. And then they had, uh, and then t- I had to go to the restroom. I had to walk out in front of the entire congregation to let them know I'm going bathroom. And then I had to walk down a dark corridor, and the lights were missing. I get into the restroom, and it stank to high heaven, and there were cracked tiles. And and, and so I'm sitting with him, and I said, "Well, you know, uh, you've actually got to spend some money." He's like, "Exactly, we don't have any money, and our giving's gone down." And I had to try and explain to him that uh, there's a principle called the bathroom principle. You know, and the bathroom principle is before you eat in a restaurant, check out the bathroom. Because if the bathroom is, if if they can't look after the bathroom, don't think the kitchen. But the kitchen is reflected in the excellence in the bar. Every great restaurant that has great food that has impeccable service, that uh, is able to create, you know, dishes that look like a work of art with all, the way that they garnish everything. Every time I've been in one of those restaurants and I've gone into the bathroom, the bathroom is so clean, is so spick, is so span. So I was kind of sharing with this pastor that if, you know, uh, if I was a millionaire and I came to this church and God told me to write a million dollar check, I'd be looking around thinking, I don't know if I want to write this check because I don't know what he's spending. He's obviously not spending his money on the upkeep of the church. Nobody wants to stay on a sinking ship. You know, you can go on one of those awesome carnival cruises and we're going to Cabo San Lucas. We're going to be drinking margaritas on the beach and water skiing and, you know, all that kind of swimming with the dolphins, all that kind of jazz. But, But if all of a sudden the captain says, oh, and by the way, we've got a massive hole in the hull. Hey, we don't want you to get off. We don't want you to get off. We just need you to dig a little deeper and help us to to bail people are going to go they'll bail till we get to the first port and then they're not getting back on nobody wants to be on a sinking ship and so because the pastor could not see that it was limiting his his leadership i've been in other places where you know uh one particular place where the pastor had an incredible i mean probably i would say in the entire nation the most powerful holy ghost anointing for breakthrough deliverance the power of god moving but yet his church would never get get more than about 300 people because when we would go out to eat after the meetings he was the rudest snottiest man to the waiters and waitresses and uh the church isn't absolutely you know the church we want the power of god we want the word of god but church isn't in the theology business it's in the people business and he couldn't figure out, he couldn't see. I could, from one meeting, from one lunch, see why his church had a massive turnover. It was the way that he saw and the way that he treated people. And so the ability to receive instruction is, is important, but the, that, that all flows out of, of vision, what you see. And you, 
you and I as leaders, Pastor David, we, we have to see differently to everybody else. We have to see a hope when there isn't a hope, but we've also got to see when, when something's broke, we've got to see beyond the flat tire. We've got to see beyond that. We've got to see, we've got to see what's going on. You know, Solomon is confronted with a woman who brings, you know, two women come and they say, hey, listen, we live together and we both had babies and, you know, they'll, they'll share the same bed and I rolled over or one of us rolled over and baby was squashed and then the other one took the baby and the baby's mine. No, the baby's mine. The baby's mine. So here's his situation. So Solomon sees what's going on. He says, okay, he says, this is what we're going to do. Let's cut the baby in half and you're going to have a half each. And then immediately one of the ladies says, no, 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 don't cut. Give, give the other lady. And then Solomon said, that's the mother. And so that was, that was the spirit of wisdom helping him to see beyond what was going Because he knew that the real mother would not want to hurt the child. Whereas the one who'd lost and was grieving over her loss would absolutely viciously want her to feel the same pain. And absolutely wholeheartedly agree, cut the baby in half. Yes, that's fair. That's a good judgment. That's not the mum, the one that wanted to give it. Save the life, that's the mum. So that's leadership. Leadership is, we just think vision is, you know, posting a vision. Hey, church, we're here to impact the city, influence nations, and change a generation. There we go. I've got a vision. That qualifies me as a leader. I'd love to say that that's, that that's it. That's good. That's a good place to start. But that's not a leader. A leader must see. And we've got to see what other people don't see. That's great. What would you say to the leader out there, the pastor, leader of a team who has had that vision before, but because of disappointment, because of they had a vision, didn't come to pass, or they didn't see it, or they kept struggling, nobody got behind it, has stopped seeing, and, and has felt so much exhaustion from that, from the, from the failure, and doesn't want to see anymore, doesn't want to have a vision anymore, doesn't know where to start. Where would, what would you say to that? person i'd say to that leader that probably um the best thing for them to do is is to get a level of healing because it's very very difficult if if they if they the vision hasn't come to pass and people aren't behind them and they're feeling discouraged they really need to remove themselves from from their environment right now and get get into a place where they can be healed and delivered because if people haven't got behind the vision there's a whole other thing in play, Pastor David, where they haven't been able to communicate that vision. They haven't been able to cause other people to see the vision. And maybe it's because they don't see the vision clearly themselves. And so it's one thing to see a destination. So, you know, uh, whenever we go away, uh, my incredibly beautiful wife uh, is a wonderful, wonderful companion in the car because she keeps me unbelievably honest. Because if I dared make a wrong turn, if, if it even appears like I've gone the wrong way, there is hell to pay in our car. And so, so what she does is I have a destination, which is the vision. But now I actually have to see how to get to the vision. And that's called strategy. Wow. And I think sometimes a pastor or a leader can have a vision. This is where we're going. But, but that doesn't make you a leader. That makes you maybe a poster board proclaimer, but not a leader. A leader says, this is, this is where we're going, and this is how we're going to get there. We're going to take this exit. We're going to go here. And so, so a, a, a visionary leader must not just see where we're going, but also how to get there. And I think that in, and it's in the how to get there that we then begin to enlist, and then people can see it. And as people see it themselves, they buy in. If people didn't buy in, it's because people didn't see it, because you as the leader did not see or communicate clearly the strategy on how to get there. 
And so that's, that's leadership. So, you know, we come to San Diego. You know, I have a vision. It's, it's a baseball diamond. I kind of see, you know, surrounding the city, one church, four locations, whatever. And, uh, and so I see it, but I don't know how to get there. So it's, it's, I can't just kind of get out, hey, church, don't really know how it's going to happen. But this is what I saw, you know, and get people to buy in. I've actually got to see it. And then I've got to spend time with the Lord, spend time in the Holy Ghost and allow him to help me to close my eyes and see how it's going to happen, how it's going to work, how it's going to look like, which, which one's going to come first, how are we going to take those grounds strategically, where are those territories? And so seeing is everything. Wow, that's great, having a strategy. Which leads us to our third key is stewardship. Stewardship, which is, uh, which is a great one. Yeah. And again, you know, um, uh, you, we should all, this, what I love about God and what I love about the Bible is God is so unreligious. He's so beautifully non-religious. You know, the, in the religious circles, they do these things where they have, they take vows of poverty. Uh, you, you know, our favorite program at the moment, Pastor Leanne and, and, and I, is um, called The Midwife. And there's a beautiful, beautiful little story. There's stories within stories. And one of the stories is one of the nuns has fallen in love with a doctor. And so she leaves the convent to marry the, the, the doctor. And, uh, but on her Coming up to her wedding day, she's got a grey dress. It's probably the ugliest dress I think I've ever seen. She's wearing this bonnet so that she looks 50 years older than what she is. And it's, it's just, you know, there's, there's nothing beautiful about it. But, but she kept talking to the sisters at the, the nonitor's house saying, oh, you know, I've been planning my wedding. It's going to be very modest, only a very few people. It's like... You know, and then it was actually the head nun had to say to her, sweetheart, is that what you've always wanted? Is that what you've dreamed of? Is that, you know, actually, what, what are you doing, sweetheart? It's your wedding day. Shoot for the moon. But there's this thing in religion that we shouldn't hope for great or, you know, we should just be modest and just not have things. God actually wants you to believe big, to shoot for the moon, to, you know, to. And so stewardship is everything. Because stewardship is the pathway to more. Well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful in a few things. Therefore, I will make you ruler over many things. God says to Adam in Genesis 1, uh, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over the work of my hands. So God gave Adam dominion over the whole earth. But in Genesis chapter 2, the Bible says, And the Lord planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he took the man whom he had formed and planted him in this tiny little garden. Adam's to rule over the whole world, and yet God sticks him in a garden. Because God says, Your, you know, your destiny is to rule over the world. But that is not a guarantee. What you've actually got to do is you've actually got to grow into that. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to put you into a little garden and the way that you look after this little garden, the way that you steward this responsibility is going to shape but also determine your ability to steward an entire garden. Because Jesus says, if you cannot be faithful with what is least, you cannot be faithful with much. How you do a little thing will show how you do a big thing. If you can't be faithful to give God $1 out of 10, God's not, you know, 
don't be screaming to God to give you a million and then tell God, if you give me a million, I'll give you a hundred thousand. If a dollar out of ten is a struggle, you're not going to give a hundred thousand when you got a million because how you do the little determines how you do the big. And so, so everything in this life is about stewardship. The, the better we are at stewarding what we have, stewarding our resources, stewarding our time, stewarding, stewarding our money, stewarding our emotional energy. Uh, everything that you have, everything that you and I have in our hands right now is really a test. And I say this, that, you know, God tests us so that he can trust us. And when he trusts us, he brings us a test so that he can actually trust us with more. God is always wanting to trust us with more, but there's always the test. The tithe is the test. What Ten means test in the Bible. Ten commandments, ten is test. And so God will test you with the tithe so that he can trust you with more. And, and, and a lot of people don't tithe, and so they wonder why they can't pay their bills. It's like God's like, dude, I want to trust you with more, but I can't because you keep failing the test. As soon as you start testing, I'll open the windows of heaven and pour out more i'll increase and uh you know but that never that never goes away god is always testing and trusting as soon as you get trusted god will test you why so we can trust you with more as soon as you get more god will test you you know and so that never goes away oh man i can't wait till i've got enough money where i don't have to tie you will always be tired will always be and you know in everything whatever you're doing right now but you may say well you know i'm just setting up chairs i'm just packing up i'm just rolling up cables i'm just you know doing the lights and the sound i'm just Whatever you're, whatever you're doing right now, you need to understand that it is your Eden. It is your garden. And God is looking to see how you steward that garden, how you take responsibility. Just to, I know we've got to move on, but the, just a final thought in there on stewardship is that God gives Adam and Eve a garden to take care of with a tree that they had to steward, a tree that they had to nurture, a tree that they had to take care of that they were never allowed to eat from. God said, of all the trees you can freely eat, except that one. So they had to look after a tree they were never allowed to eat from. And so there are just, there are just things in this life that, well, this is not my destiny. This is not my, but God still wants you to take care of it. Yeah, but this is not my, this belongs to somebody else. And God's like, yeah, if you can't be faithful with what belongs to somebody else, who will give you what is your own? And so, so all of those things are, are just tests and they're stewardship tests. So we've got, to, we've got to receive instruction, but receiving instruction comes out of vision. And vision helps you to see that what is in your hand right now is God's testing for no other reason but to promote you. God's desire is to promote you. He wants to promote you. He wants to give you more. But really the power is not so much in God's hand as it is in your hand are you faithful where you're at right now? That's great. And that really leads into the last key to an effective, being an effective leader, which is faithfulness. And not just faithful what you're talking about, but there's, I think, many areas of faithfulness. So uh, why don't you tell everybody out there the faithfulness that, that you are talking about here? Yeah, you know, just, I know that we've got to come to a close. So I just thought the, um, one of the scriptures on faithfulness, because, you know, that's really what good stewardship is, is faithfulness. The Bible says in Matthew 25, the parable of the talents that, you know, uh, the master calls these people to him and he makes them stewards over his possessions, puts everything in their care. But then when he comes back, he says, well done, good and faithful. The guy that didn't do anything, you unfaithful servant. So really, our ability to steward is the way that God develops the muscle of faithfulness. And faithfulness are the cogs that shift the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven, you know, comes to a grinding halt where faithfulness ceases. 
Jesus comes into his hometown, there's no faith. There's no people full of faith. And so the power of God comes to a grinding halt. But, you know, there's a, a woman who's not even a, a, an Israelite. She has great faith and her daughter gets healed because that faith and faithfulness causes the wheels to move. One of my favorite scriptures in Proverbs 11 verse 13 says, A talebearer reveals secrets, but he who is of a faithful spirit conceals a matter. A talebearer receives, uh, a talebearer reveals secrets, but he who is of a faithful spirit conceals a matter. And uh, that, that scripture, probably for the last 20 years, Pastor David has absolutely rocked me because I love a little bit of juicy gossip. I love the salaciousness of knowing something that other people don't know. I've got the inside intel. I've got the scoop on this person, on this situation. And you see him this way, <laughs> can I tell you something? And, uh, and so I found that even the, the different elevations that I've enjoyed and experienced in kingdom things have come from little tests, little tests where I've been with, you know, certain people in certain places where I've actually been privileged to see something. There was a massive character fault that I've had so many opportunities to be with other people to, to talk about. And I know that a talebearer reveals secrets, but he who is of a faithful spirit conceals a matter. And I know that, I, you know, God is looking. Can I trust you? I want to elevate you. I want to even elevate your voice. But if you're a talebearer, then I can't elevate your voice because you're just going to do too much damage. You can't be trusted. Loose lips sink, sink ships. Wow. Confidentiality is everything. In church, we deal with people. We deal with people. We deal with people in their highs, but more often than not, we, we deal with people in their lows. We deal with people in their brokenness, in their darkest hours. We deal with people in their shame. We deal with people uh, in areas where they feel massive guilt and condemnation, people carrying all kinds of stuff. And if, if we as leaders don't have a faithful spirit that conceals a matter if we're a talebearer that reveals secrets, people are not going to come to us. They're ne never going to be able to confess their trespasses. They're never going to get healed. They're never going to get set free. They're going to carry those things. Some of those things not only cripple them now, but some of those things, the, the weight and the guilt of those regrets quite often ends up causing people to take their lives. And so we can't afford that. And so having a faithful spirit in us uh, as leaders, but as, as well as, as a church, that understanding that a talebearer reveals secrets. We're not talebearers. We're of a faithful spirit. We conceal matters. We are trusted people that is as juicy as the gossip is and as much as I want to uncover and as much as I want to, I'm not going to. You know, it's interesting. The devil has no faithfulness. He is the epitome of unfaithfulness. And yet his name, accuser, Satan means accuser because he uncovers. He continually uncovers, uncovers, uncovers. And Jesus, who's the epitome of faithfulness, goes to the cross not for his punishment not for his sin but for our sin he's so faithful to god that he's that obedient and yet jesus stands before the the throne night and day making intercession what's he doing he's constantly covering us and when we slip and sin jesus comes immediately and says father don't judge them my blood washes them my blood has cleansed them jesus spends 24 hours a day seven days a week 365 days a year covering you and me for our sin for our indiscretions for our rebellion for our stupidity for our iniquity and he's constantly before the father no don't judge them father i'm covering him again with his is my blood remember he's 
he, Jesus is constantly covering. The devil's constantly uncovering. We've got to, we've got to have a faithful spirit. That's great. So good. So good. can you put your hands together for Pastor Jurgen, all the staff and interns. Thanks for joining us. One more time, those four keys are the ability to receive instruction. Having a vision is number two. Number three is stewardship. And number four is faithfulness. And those are all gold nuggets right there. Listen to this, re-listen to this, uh, work on all of these. Is there anything else you'd like to add before we come to a close today? Uh, no. Just Perfect. That, just that Drew is incredibly handsome and my wife is drop-dead gorgeous. There you go. That's for all the podcast listeners out there. You all know. <laughs> so thank you so much for joining us for April's edition of C3 San Diego's Leadership Podcast. Don't forget to sign up for Empower Conference 26th to the 28th of June. We love you. We will see you next time right here. Thanks for listening to today's message. To find out more about our church, go to C3SanDiego.com.